Hello and welcome back to Captivated Audience with me, Marie Lundberg, and Sam Sheen. This is part two of our chat with Martin Walker, an independent management consultant based here in Stockholm, Sweden. We jump right into the conversation, going from blue on blue, friendly fire to yep, war stories. Over to you, Sam. The best part of the podcasts is when people tell us like a war story. So I've got my favorite in relation to trying to introduce AML technology. Someone tries, when I work at the regulator, to sell me a screening tool. So I give them the name of four people in Guernsey we know had been convicted of crimes. And they ran them through the system and they didn't come up with any hits. So we said, thank you very much. The door is over there. We, on a no-names basis, tell us, tell us some lessons learned from any war stories you can remember from your career when it comes to that kind of a data project or that kind of a automation project. I remember at one place where I was working, we, we started doing a project called Forceful Closing, where we were trying to close down some data warehouses, because the more different data hubs you have dotted around the bank, the more opportunities there are for error. So the idea is if we can centralize everything, then we end up with a far more robust solution and higher quality data. And I remember on my first day, I walked into this building and they had a ticker on the wall that said the equivalent of 200 days till forceful closing, till this particular database is decommissioned. And then we moved buildings a couple of times as part of the project. And I remember going back in there near when three years later, and that same ticker was still ticking along on the wall. And the, the project was long gone. The data warehouse was still there running strong because they couldn't get the people off it. Because there are so many complex rules that have been implemented in this system that have been built up over 20 years or so, that it was impossible to get the users to all accept the the new data, because it was different. The whole trying to reproduce something that's been there and has been built up and is now part of the fabric of the organization, coming up with a plan to decommission it, it was just really difficult. I think that must have been one. I think one of the things as part of the the KYC utility project we did was fascinating. We started, we looked at um, screening tools and we employed a third party to come in and to help us with the assessment. And they went through the Nordic countries and they identified a set of PEPs and a set of, set of sanctioned individuals. Then they got the, um, the algorithms in these different tools to try and yeah, to see whether that when you did a screening on them, whether they came up or not. And the differences were massive. Kind of the, I remember there was, um, there was a major general, the equivalent of a major general in the Norwegian army who was put forward. And he didn't appear in one of the, the databases as a PEP. It's like, why not? Well, we don't classify generals in the army as being peps. And he goes, but in Norway, this is the highest rank in the army. Okay. Oh, really? Ah, maybe we didn't understand this. You talk about data quality. So you start off with, well, you need to have the database needs to have the right entries. And in this case, it was missing clear and obvious entry. And then you have the problem around identifying the right person. And in, And again, this is where you could have Major John Stewart or Major T Stewart or Major JT Stewart, and they need to use the AI to try and work out whether this is the same person or not. And that's where they are either come up with false positives or false negatives. The problem is, is at the end of the day, you're working with maths, and maths is just a prediction. And you look at the COVID examples at the moment, where they've been trying to predict how many are going to die in the Imperial College 
models that were produced way at the very beginning of the whole virus have proved to be way, way, way off by a multiplier because the model was wrong and the inputs were wrong. And it's only maths at the end of the day. Whatever you hear about AI, it's maths. Martin, what is your take on that none of the European AML regulations or guidance have a long-standing history of including data management as an essential element of any financial crime compliance technology tool used by the financial institutions today? And then you add on the complexity of GDPR to that. I just wonder, could we pick your brain? What suggestions, if you were to provide some, would be the key things to be thinking about? To start off with, in data management side, you talk about primary data sources. That is the trusted sources of data. For ML, the big trusted data sources are the corporate registers. I think the starting point you need to go for is saying, how do we improve the quality consistency of the corporate registers? If you don't police them and manage the data that's in there, then how are you ever going to know the truth? From a a good data management practice, it's about making sure data is well-defined. That means that people understand what they're filling in. And it's about how do you then quality assure that data? The other, I guess, golden rule for data management is you need consistent use of identifiers. So if you look at me as a, an individual now, I am a UK citizen and I am a Swedish citizen. I have a personal number in Sweden, which is my own personal ID number. So it's a bit like, oh, you over there, 730828XXXX. Um, that's what you referred to in Sweden. UK people get used to this. Um, but in the UK, you have either national insurance number or we could have a national identity number or a passport number. But I can tell you one thing, there's no place where both of my numbers are stored consistently. If I go into the tax authorities records in, in Sweden or in where my company is registered, nowhere have they asked me for my UK passport number or my UK national insurance number. Likewise, if you go into UK company's house, if you have a Swede who's a director, then they will not ask for the passport number or the Swedish national insurance number. Therefore, when you start trying to join up individuals cross-country, you start working on name. And that's when you bring the mathematics in, start trying to say, is that Martin Walker who's in Sweden, the same Martin Walker who's in UK company's house? Now, in Sweden, I know there's about six Martin Walkers. Now, in the UK there's probably about 6,000 Martin Walkers. So we're trying to join data using mathematics to work out, well, if this guy was born between 1970 and 1975, then there's a high probability he's the same person. If he was at this address before, it's a high probability he's the same person. So I think it's about getting the corporate registers working well and then using common identifiers internationally, that is ID numbers, corporate registration numbers, in order to for banks and other users of the data to be able to join and infer relationships more accurately than using mathematics. Now, Martin, you really touched upon another vital part of data management, the quality aspect of it and the data update procedures, and I would say the reliance problems too. In my opinion, we fall back to the old, but in this case, very relevant Garbage in, garbage out. What's your thought on that? Absolutely. I read a great about a great case in the UK where the only person who's actually been prosecuted for 
incorrectly updating UK company's house was a journalist. So what kind of incentive is there for corporates, whether they be honest corporates or dishonest corporates, to actually update the corporate registers if there's no implications for not doing it? So stage one is getting high quality corporate registers. Stage two is then getting common identifiers between national corporate registers. And there you get the interesting clash you mentioned with GDPR, which is a, a nice nice thing to, to get onto. If you start looking at um, some of the large data aggregators, data sets who do this for a living, kind of the, the Bureau of Van Dykes and the um, Dun & Bradstreets of this world, then you can clearly go in and see where they've tried to match individuals from one country to the next. And you can see that they've missed it. And you end up with two individuals and they've been unable to do that match. And they, they're throwing huge amounts of resource at it. And you get, so that just demonstrates how difficult it is when that is their core business and they've unable, been unable to get the match. So how do you expect the banks to then come in and go, oh, I can see a relationship between this individual here in this country and that corporate or that entity over there in that country? Mm, well, think- Martin, I think there's an opportunity for you because last year, uh, I'm sure you may or you may not have heard at the European Union level, they have passed the regulation that's going to make it possible to have a pan-European registry. And what they're talking about is that one registry mechanism should be able to speak to all the other registers to make it easier for incorporation. But remarkably, there's no references around field consistency, data consistency. There's only a tiny little reference about fraud, but the rest of it's all around If you've incorporated in one jurisdiction, everyone else can rely on that information. So I think I see a project in the making, don't you? I think that is going to be a mammoth project. As soon as you start aggregating data from different sources while you've got different definitions, then it becomes very difficult. To take an example, if you look at a, in Sweden, we have something called an active bolag, which is an, an RB, whereas in the UK, you have a limited company. Those are two different legal forms. They're two different things because one is written into UK law and one is written into Swedish law. So as soon as you aggregate up to a a supranational level, then what's that aggregated to be? Do you keep the local version of the company or do you try and say, well, this is a, in English, it's a limited company, but it's a local version of a limited company. There are so many of those complexities that you, you have to build in when you start aggregating data. And that's when it comes, a lot of it's back down to harmonization of law. Do we then say, okay, we're now going to standardize on a on different entity definitions at a European level. So you no longer have an active bolag and a limited company. They are actually the same thing. And you may call them different things, a, a local language translation, but they are one and the same thing. And that's the ultimate way you get consistency is through standardization. And there we see the European Union challenge of trying to standardize across border. Okay, Martin, you're adding more complexity to it. Local languages, different characters, and possible transliteration issues as well. Absolutely. For the Nordic KYC utility, we were capturing data in English because it was for for large corporates for use across the Nordics. And therefore, the one common language that everyone understood was English. Does that scale down to small and medium enterprises where the people using the data tend to be all local language. Good question. Then, as you say, you've got the different character sets that the solutions need to be able to cater for. 
So that was one of our sort of POC criteria. Any solutions we looked at, we tested to see whether they could cater for Nordic character sets. And there were, there were some that could and some that couldn't. Then you have the display language on the screen that you can have English language entry, but then the labels, do they want to be NAM or name? You look at the content value, should it be Hon Han or male or female? So again, you aggregate and it becomes really complicated as to what should the standard be? Should it be local language, harmonized language? And now with the UK leaving European Union, can you use English as that harmonized language? Oh dear, let's not go near the B word. <laughs> okay, we're staying clear of the B word, so we'll just move on. Martin, can I ask you, where do you see the future of technology in the AML or the anti-financial crime space? Where is the next great frontier where no woman or man have gone before? I think that where we're going to head towards is, I, if you want to call it sort of self-service identity solutions. So in the, in the utility world, we've got Swift Corporate, Corporate Register as one example and Markets KYC and now Invidum sort of KYC utility where there are solutions where a organization or ultimately individuals can have their KYC data hosted and sort of pre-validated to a degree. And then I think being able to deliver that as a trusted data package to the bank, again, the bank can never outsource the risk, but if they can look at a an immutable view of KYC data that says, okay, I can see a full audit trail as to how this data has changed over time, and I can see that it has been validated by these trusted parties, then I can start building up a bit like the equivalent of a credit record, but a KYC record showing how how an entity's data has evolved. And I think that way you focus on what I talked about before, which is around the golden source of data, getting the data right first time and being able to come up with the equivalent of my corporate passport, my KYC passport, and having that there, rather than as soon as you start going to all these different data sources and joining the data and trying to join the dots kind of using technology, I think you've lost the battle. So I think it's about trying to create, improve the quality of data up front before it gets to the bank and providing sort of the equivalent of certification authorities or trusted authorities say, look, this is this is this data has been validated now. You can trust it. That's where I think the whether it's a utility model such as Market Swift or Invidum comes off, or whether it ends up being in a, a distributed data, a blockchain-y type world is open for debate. But I think we're going to see more digital management platforms where people can get their data validated and um, accredited, essentially, the way you have a trust platform on Airbnb type thing. It's accredited and you build up a history of trust, which then the banks can then risk assess based on what they can see there. Excellent. Well, on that note, Martin, thank you so much for joining Marie and I today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Great speaking to you both. And if you'd like to do like Martin and take part in one of our future podcasts, or even if you've got some suggestions of topics or subjects you'd like us to explore on the podcast, feel free to reach out to us directly on our podcast website, captivatedaudience.eu, where you can simply drop either Marie or myself a line on LinkedIn. Until the next time, have a great day and stay safe.